My name is Linda Horiland and I work at Southern Cross University and we're proud sponsors of this event, um, this session, but also many of the events uh, that are happening in the Kaiyaruga Writers' Festival. Very happy to be here. I'd like to acknowledge that we're on the traditional lands of the Bunjalung Nation and um, pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'm here with Paddy Miller, who I've known about for a really long time because um, she is one of those gurus of memoir writing. She's one of those people that I point to as an example of where students might like to extend their writing practice. So I want to start off with um, a couple of questions and then we'll hear from Patty and we'll talk about her new book, which is called True Friends. So Patty, what brought you to teaching memoir? Well, I guess writing. You know, there was an interest uh, even when I was writing fiction in, in drawing from my own life. And then I started teaching at the University of Western Sydney and a number of the students were writing about their own lives. So I thought maybe I would design a course um, for people who are interested in doing that. And I took it to Varuna, the, the Writers' Centre um, in the Blue Mountains. And um, pretty much the, the rest was history. After, after a couple of years, I was able to stop teaching at the, at the university and um, started doing the writing workshops um, all, all over the place and um, now on Zoom as well. And as you said, the, um, the Paris workshop, um, which started in 2005. So it's, it was, um, you know, a, a natural kind of, com uh, out, uh, kind of expression of my interest in the craft of writing and really, I mean, even though I have a couple of degrees, I teach from my own experience as a writer. You know, it's, it's, it's a very practical kind of craft-based course. It's not, it's not theoretical the way, that I, uh, the way that I talk about writing, you know, and, and I think it's, it's um, you know, one of those uh, things which uh, appeals to a lot of people, not just people who might think of themselves as writers. Yeah. I Just to follow on from that, I do think that at Writers' Festivals now, I'm on the board of the Byron Writers' Festival, which is coming up later this year, um, there, there is a, a sort of a, a turn towards people who are revealing all in memoir, isn't mm. there? Mm. Um, and, I, and, and I guess that's, um, it speaks to our culture, that we like this idea of sharing and, and learning and, and uh, I suppose, trying to affect change through sharing our experiences as well. Uh, like all the people who come to my workshop, they often have very kind of intense stories and stories of, of trauma or adventure or all that kind of thing. But for me, it's actually always about communicating an experience of, of what it's like to be here in the world. So I, I often say to people, I'm really not interested in your achievements. I, I want to know what it's like for you to be in the world because nobody else knows what it's like for you to be in the world. Even the people who love you never know what it's like. So for me, it's 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 that claiming of this is my reality of being, like all art, you know, it's, it, this is what it's like to be in the world for me. So I've been like very consciously claiming the material of my own life um, in, in my writing. I'm very inspired by um, people like Annie Arnaud, who's a French writer that I've been reading for a long time. And she has, her whole career has 
claimed the material of her own life, even at a time when you know she was being uh, criticised in in um, reviews for like you know she's writing like women's magazine stuff because she was writing about her own personal life, you know. So for me, it's it it doesn't it's not anything like reality TV, which is just uh, another weird construction of life. It's actually about uh, trying to put down in words um, your experience of, of being in the world and crafting that into something that other people can enter into. That's a really great point about the constructions because that's something that's said in the beginning of the book, which I was really interested in about. We'll talk about the ethics of this in a little while, but yes. I'd like you to favour us with um, what it says in the beginning is that uh, somebody is asked, do you mind being in my book? And their response is, that's only your construction of me which is a really fair point. So I'd like you to read from your book, just to set the scene of what it's about and, yes. and we'll continue yes. our discussion there. Yes, just a little bit on, on that it, that thing is it um, it's, it was, it really struck me, you know, that, that somebody actually got that all you put on the page is your construction of other people, you know, because people say, oh, you've stolen my story. I thought, well, no, um, I've actually just constructed my own version of you on the page. But I'll, I'll read this a little bit. This, this is about um, 50 or so pages in. As I recall my friendships, it feels like a kaleidoscope, memories falling and shifting to make new patterns as I hold it up to the light. The story of Gina has exotic, brightly coloured fragments, scarlet, gold and blue, which makes it seem that she has been the most important of my friends. And certainly she has mattered a great deal. There was, I thought, a rare communion of thought and feeling between us. But I have had that communion with other friends at different times. I know I'm obsessively circling back over the friendship with her, twisting and retwisting the kaleidoscope, but that's because it ended. A flow of warmth and connection was suddenly withheld, and I don't know why. I don't remember any unforgivable acts, any violent arguments, Although there was one rift about halfway through our 15-year friendship, a ragged, stretching split that opened up between us. Perhaps that serrated the edges of the kaleidoscope pieces or created a flaw in the glass. I have to continue to let them fall to see where the flaw was. In the beginning, I was trying to understand what had happened to the broken friendship. I was hurt and bewildered, and bewilderment is a strong engine. But since I've begun writing, the hurt has faded. Now there is a pure desire to try to recreate what was, to see how we know anyone and how anyone knows us, how others live in our minds at the cellular level of memory, to see how all the knowledge we have of each other and of, exi and of existence, all we have ever had, is a selective electrochemical story in our brains about the things we have seen, smelled, touched, tasted, heard, right back to the first story ever written. So the true friends is the story of that friendship, but woven in amongst a lot of friendships that you've had. I wanted to go back to that question of not only constructing the story, but also what you put in and what you leave out, and also how you negotiate that with friends. And, and I don't know if many people know about the story of Truman Capote, who ended his friendships and his position amongst the New York um, elite 
by telling stories that he'd heard. He was a great gossip. Uh, not that you're a great gossip. <laughs> but he, he, he taught tales out of school and it, it basically led to the, the ruin of him, essentially. So how does one negotiate that when you're writing a memoir like this? It's, it's always a huge issue and it's with great anxiety, I would have to say, in, in a word. I mean, I, I felt um, uh, every day when I was writing this book that concern. Um, and it's, it's, it's strange because, you know, I've written many books and, I, and, and there's often my family in it. And I somehow thought writing about friends would be easier. Um, but uh, I can, I'm here to tell you it's not. And I know why there aren't any books about friendship breakups apart from mine, because it's just, it's just so fraught. But what I did was I decided very, uh, very early on that it was my, that everyone is entitled to their uh, own experience, which includes their own experience of others. And we all have that, we all carry it around inside our heads, our own experience of other people. And it's different for every single person who knows it. They all carry a different picture around in their head about what kind of person you are. And I thought, well, all a writer does is actually put that picture on the page. So it's, it's not like it's not happening all the time. We are all kind of creating each other in our heads all the time. So, so I thought that that's what I'm doing. And I'm not actually um, shifting or changing anybody's um, experience of themselves, only my experience of them. I told um, the, you know, the people that I still know, like people who weren't you know, from way back in school days, um, you know, what I was doing. And near the end, um, I asked um, everyone if they wanted to see their piece, um, all except um, the uh, sort of central breakup character, I guess, Gina, because she had forbidden contact. So I thought, well, okay, I won't. <laughs> and um, only, I think it was only two people asked to see their, their pieces, you know, and a, and a couple of, uh, or one particular friend who actually lives up this way, and when I told her, she just laughed and said, you can write whatever you like. So <laughs> I haven't heard from her yet, so <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that was just bravado or, <laughs> or what it was. I'm willing to bet she's curious enough to get a copy of it because it's a bit like when the um when Andy Warhol's book came out the only thing worse than being in Andy Warhol's book was not being in it well yeah. that's what I felt as well you know I thought there's all the people that I'm leaving out you know they could be equally offended by or relieved one or the other being left out you, you may get you may have to publish it with an addendum oh I forgot about this one uh, I'm sorry I did thank various people at the end um and that's kind of hopefully um although I'm almost certain to have left somebody out. But, but you know, it's, 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 I actually had to also tell myself that this book is not about pleasing friends. You know, it's about me trying to get my experience on the page. I remember I, I found, came across a piece by an English writer um, whose name I can't remember. And um, she, it was just a little bit on the internet, and she said uh, she realised that she couldn't have her mother or sister or best friend um, writing this book that is in their heads, in your head saying, what would mum think about that? What would my friend think about that? You actually have to put all that aside. You have to lock all those people in the back shed when you're writing, I think, because otherwise you won't end up with um, you, uh, any kind of um, truth of your own experience. And, and what's the point? If you're just writing a book to please people, you may as well be like writing Hallmark cards. 
That's very, a very good point. I guess there's also the opportunity for people to write their own version of events. Yes, although I mean, you can, I can tell myself that, but mm. in fact, I'm the writer. Yes. So I've got, I've got the power yeah. in, in this case. And I think a writer needs to be aware of that, you know, that yes, you, you have a lot more power than the people yes. you are writing about, you know, and, and that means you have a great responsibility as, mm. as well. But um, the central person, I mean, she, she is well established in, in her own career as an actor and, and can write, so she could if she wanted to. Elizabeth Gilbert's husband wrote a response to um, Eat, Pray, Love that didn't do very well, but it was his attempt to revise the record in yes. his, you know, yes. from his own perspective, I suppose yes. that's, that's something that, that might be available to people. I wanted to ask about this idea that, yes, there aren't many books about friendship um, breakups um, and early on you say a friendship that ends is more significant because the level of hurt and as I read I was thinking that a lot of it seems to be the kind of humiliation and shame involved in a friendship breakup and a lot of that stems from the idea of being rejected yes and, and that's a theme that runs through not to psychoanalyze the whole thing, but mm. it does. People are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I mean, this is, I guess this is something that happens when we're thinking about any sort of breakup. Is yes. There's a rejection involved. Yes, but why Why isn't it written about to me is, is, is the point. You know, you think there's, there's endless films, there's endless novels, uh, memoirs, uh, songs, poetry mm. about uh, romantic or mar marriage breakups, but you try and think of one that's about a friendship breakup. And all the people I've talked to say it hurts just as much, you know, and it's just as bewildering, but there's no kind of cultural context for it. So it feels shameful, you know, you, 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 there's no kind of songs or stories or anything about it. So it feels like I, I'm outside of the human community. I'm an outcast because I'm experiencing something that is not allowed in public in public discourse. And I think it is um, that feeling of, and it goes back to a kind of um, fundamental need to be part of a community to survive. We need, like the, the reading that I've done about friendship um, and the neuroscience of friendship too, too, is that we actually need more than our family to get through the jungle alive. You know, so we actually need that network to, to survive. And so if somebody casts us out, it goes to a really fundamental, we're not part of the tribe anymore. And I think that's, that's a really scary thing. And it's also shameful. And you can't really talk about it with your other friends because you know, uh, they might they might have been thinking the same thing. Who knows? <laughs> you know, so so I, I think it's it is um, it is humiliating and 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 shameful. And everyone I've talked to has said they felt that, um, but they felt that they had to hide it um, because it just wasn't part of what we talk about. And it's I guess it's also because it's it feels like a fundamental flaw within ourselves. Yes, well, you think it, you think it must be your fault, you know, that, 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 that this is happening. Um, but it's also, you know, and I, I've, I've noticed that it happens with particularly intense friendships, you know, that and, and where you kind of, uh, you really see each other and you really acknowledge each other. And then if it ends, then that's kind of, uh, well, was that imaginary? Uh, I think also in the modern context is that when friendships end, you can be deleted from social media and blocked. 
So it's like you don't exist anymore. Yes, yes, there's, there's that kind of blocking as well. And then also ending things by, by sending texts, you know. Yes. There, there's no, no ritual for ending either. I mean, normally with other relationships, there's long discussions about trying to save the relationship. But people don't try to save friendships in that. They don't talk about the actual nature of the relationship with each other. So much. There's also the practice now called ghosting. Yes. Where a person just completely cuts off contact and and becomes a ghost, essentially. Yes, and I guess that's what that's what sort of happened to to me. But I, I thought, you know, I very much um, realised early on that I didn't want it just to be about that. I mean, th what came out of it for me in the writing was actually looking at the nature of other like of friendship itself but also then also the nature of how do we know other people mm. you know how how do we know other people you know it's 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 really just you know our observations that we kind of construct a, an idea of them in our heads you know and and as i said before we all have a different construction but you hope that your friends construction is something like the one you've got in your own head yeah, I think that speaks to ego in some way, mm, you know, yeah. and our sense of self. That our it's sense just of so self. fractured by these experiences. Yes, yes. I, I, I imagine most people in the room have had a, a friendship that ended in, a, in you know, a sad or unnecessary. I, I note in here a lot of it is just these silly text messages that are taken the wrong way or mm. something that you might say off, off the cuff. Yes, especially when there's been a very intense and open communication you know yeah. and but also you know circumstances change i mean and some friendships are based on shared circumstance you know that you work together or that you are young mothers together um, mm. that kind of thing or you're studying together but there's other friendships that transcend that you know and it doesn't matter if, if a person moves to you know florida you know and, and you only see them every five or six years there's still that kind of open uh, communication with them at, but some, you don't realise that the shifting circumstances have meant that they've felt left out, you know, or not acknowledged or those kinds of things. And moving to that period of your life where you went into study and then you become a, you, you were a university lecturer, you were teaching at university, and then branching out to become a memoir writing workshop facilitator. That, that progression seems really natural now. Was it that was that part of the plan at the time? Um, no, I never had a plan about anything. Um, just that I wanted to be I wanted to be a writer, and I thought you know doing a, a writing degree might uh, might help. But but I actually think for me um, because I have a uh, I can always have had a kind of uh, inclination to be intellectual and abstract. And that degree was very um, intellectual and theoretical at that time and in that place. And it only encouraged me in bad, what I think, bad writing habits in that I would be intellectualising and being abstract and theoretical about things. So I kind of uh, moved to the Blue Mountains and, and kind of retrained myself. I wouldn't, for, for a year, I wouldn't let myself um, intellectualise about anything. I, I just had to write the senses. You know, and then, then once that, you know, once I was able to do that, I was able to let my kind of my theorising back into it because you can see from my style, like you look at any of my books and they always have that kind of intellectualising uh, about things. I'm always discussing something because my, my interests are in, in ideas, 
you know, they, that, that's, that's what fascinates me. So it is part of my writing. It's just that it needed to be balanced, I think, with, um, with the sensual world, you know, and, and with the, the world that you, the 3D world that you construct on the page, you know. And I think, you know, it's the same for fiction writing as, as memoir writing. I mean, I've, I've, I've written a novel as well, and, and I always think I'm going to write another novel, and I end up writing another um, creative nonfiction. But I think in either case, you're trying to create a uh, three-dimensional space or the illusion of a three-dimensional space on the page that readers can inhabit. So it doesn't really matter if that's, you know, uh, my kind of commune on the Coromandel Peninsula in New Zealand or whether it's, you know, a 16th century you know, romance in, in um, you know, medieval France or something like that. Um, it's, it's still the same craft things are, are there. You are trying to create, you know, um, a space on the page for other people to inhabit. Yeah. So when you're teaching memoir writing. There's a couple of questions I have about that, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. um, mostly as professional development, of course, for myself, but also <laughs> be useful for the audience to listen to them. Uh, I guess, what sorts of elements of craft do you bring into your own memoir writing that you've taught and that have, have come to you via teaching? I think it's more like, for me, the craft thing of, of seeing how a scene works, you know, in, and, and um, and knowing, you know, like that people in my workshops, they often have much more sensational stories than I have. I've had a quiet life, you know. As a, you I've know. got to say, you say that in here, Nubia. Yeah. I disagree. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I always say to people, it doesn't actually matter what you've done. It's how you see it that matters. And it's the quality of someone's consciousness that really interests me in any writing. That's what engages it's me as a reader. What you make of it? Yes, it, yes. It's how you see it, and 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 it's it's your consciousness on the page. You know, I remember asking my partner because um, I was having to write an article for the Good Weekend about reading, and he's and I said to him, "What is it about reading?" And he said, "It's it's the um, it's the hum of another human consciousness. You know, there's somebody else out there." You know, like me, like me, like yeah, me. Yeah, you're, you're yes. not, you're not alone. Yeah. Um, there is the hum of another human consciousness out there. And it can be one that is like yours or it can be one that expands your consciousness. It's a completely other kind of consciousness. So um, that, that, that's, that's the kind of energy or consciousness or awareness of, of being a human being. And, and whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, that's what matters. And I think one of the best ways to do it is not to... Kind of, I always say to you know, you know, don't, don't um, kind of analyze it or interpret it. Show me it. Just write the scene and let me feel it. You know, let me know what it's what it's like. You and and, and I often notice, especially these days, that people will be very kind of abstract about all sorts of things, and I can't feel it. You know, I can't feel it. So show me that. That's one of the main things I guess I do in classes. Is I sometimes I forbid people to use any abstract words at all, or I will do a thing where um, I want you to show uh, like a strong emotion like love or jealousy or despair, but you're not allowed to mention the word anywhere. So they just have to. Which show kind it. of derives itself out of the show don't tell. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I I, I break my own rule all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm rabbiting on all the 
time about something. So. I think it should be show and tell. Yeah, of yeah. course it should be. Of course yeah. it should it be. It has to be a bit yeah. of both. Yeah, it's just that, that often um, at first when you're teaching, you have to kind of be uh, those, those kinds of rules because people are used to telling. You know, and especially when you've had a university background, it's all about telling. Yeah. Or a journalism background. I get a lot of journalists and a lot of academics in my class and, and it's about breaking out of telling. So it kind of helps. I, I think something that I've found with some of my students, if I may, is that uh, when something's really close to your heart, it's very hard to write it out and describe it thoroughly. It's sometimes easier to write an account of it Mm. because otherwise you're giving away too much of the trauma, the hurt, the embarrassment underneath. What would you think of that? Um, you mean just write an overview of it? Almost an overview, yeah. yeah. That's sort of yeah. their first draft. And then yes. they'll say, I need to see more of this, I need to yeah. see more of yeah. this character. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, it depends on, on how people work, I think. But I also do think, though, that if you are writing a scene, you are actually becoming the stage manager, the, the set builder, you've actually got a different problem. You, you, um, it's about um, building a world on the page. And, and I did notice that, like with this, as soon as I started writing it, like I was in something of a turmoil about it still, like the breakup, but as soon as I started writing it and constructing it on the page, my problems not uh, became not I'm feeling hurt, but how do I get this to work on the page? So I actually think it gives some empowerment. I've actually favour course that I'm doing at the moment. I've been doing it for about 10 years. And they're the two people who were trying to write it in the third person, you know, and, and, and I thought that that would save them from the trauma of it. And I've actually persuaded both of them to claim the material and to make it work in the first person and to write the scene. And the change in their writing is extraordinary. You know, so I do think that at urging them to start seeing it as as a building job, if you like. It, it, it puts you in a different position. You are actually um, separate from it. You're not drowning in it. What, what's your process yeah. as a writing workshop facilitator? I think I, I, I have a kind of mock bossy kind of attitude where um, I, I say that, well, first off, you know, that nobody in the class is allowed to comment about anybody else's life. They can only comment on the writing. You know, I say, like, sometimes, you know, you can't say to someone, you shouldn't have pushed your husband off the cliff. You can say there's too many adjectives in the way you've written about it. So so there's there's that. But the other thing that I have for my own and everybody else's protection is that um, you are not, in my classes, you are not allowed to talk about your life. You can only write about it. I will not listen if you start telling me. I'm not here to listen to your life story. I'm here to listen to your um, written construction. And that, that saves everybody because otherwise you're going to be... And it's pointless as well. Mm. You know, you, you can stay home and tell your story yeah. to someone. This is, this is about how to make it or work. Or you go see your therapist. You could, yes, yes, which yeah. is not me. So you, it, it, those two things, I think, probably protect everybody the most, you know, that you can't comment on anyone else's writing and you can't tell your life story. You can only write it. I wanted to uh, return to the idea of intellectualising a little bit because there is a thread uh, through this narrative about Gilgamesh. Yes, yes. And one of the, the there's a, a couple of things about, um, you know, this, this thread that I found really interesting was that um, the, the, the characterisation um, of Gilgamesh and... I can't say... En Enkidu. Enkidu, right, thank you. 
Um, the characterization of them is, is really very powerful and it runs through the entire book. Um, how did you come upon that rather than any other sort of classic story? Yes, well, there's, there's kind of two uh, main other threads, I guess, and one is, is is the kind of neuroscience of memory. I'm always obsessed with that, and and it probably threads through all of my all of my books of how how we know anything. But the with Gilgamesh, I was I was thinking, you know, about this idea of there not being any literature about friendship breakups. And I thought there's a, you know there's a, a novel or two. There's Eleanor Ferranti's, you know, uh, my brilliant um, friend about um, about friendship, but not necessarily about a breakup. And and then I remembered, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which you know is the oldest story um, that's been found ever written. You know, and uh, you know, pressed in, pressed into clay, and so you know, I had another look at that, and it's not, it's not a friendship breakup, but the friendship ends because one of them dies. Mm. You know, so, and I thought it's, it was fascinating that in the first story that's been found, um, written, is about friendship, but also in the end, it's about the necessity of telling stories. Mm and that we can only um, attain any kind of immortality in, in story. Like the argument is, you know, that he wanted, Gilgamesh wanted to have songs and stories told about him because he knew that was the only way um, he, he could live on, you know. And, mm. and if you don't believe in um, an afterlife, mm. then in the only way for you to live on is, is to have stories and, and songs told about you. And I thought, that's kind of almost too perfect that the first story ever found is about the importance of, of storytelling. So I wanted to kind of weave that through it. And also, you know, their friendship was really interesting because it was actually in the, you know, um, they were very like each other, but he was the, he was the kind of city guy and he was a, uh, a kind of, he was the ruler, um, but he wasn't a good ruler. And the wild man, Ankadu, came, you know, uh, from, the, from the forest. He used to run with the animals. So it was about that, that need for, for nature, mm. you know, and, and, the, and wildness and that we need that, you know, that we can get, be corrupted mm. by civilization and that we need, the, we need the wildness there. But it was also they had the same heart. You know, that's, it says that several times that they recognised each other's hearts. You know, and you know it's a male friendship, but I could see uh, some of the same kind of similarities. Except theirs started with a physical fight, and I thought that's very much more typically male than to, <laughs> to, to kind of it's competitive. You know, and they and they sort that out in the beginning, and I think that's maybe you know a, a thing that that uh, that happens. But it's also the kind of balance of power between them as well, which keeps on shifting. And I think that happens in friendship. And, and if one is always the more powerful, mm. the one who is less powerful will end up getting sick of it. Yeah. You know, so, so it was kind of interesting. I thought this is like 5,000 years ago mm. and they already had that kind of uh, developed awareness of the psychology of, of friendship. So it, it was a natural really to, to thread that through the story. I love, um, there's a line from Gilgamesh that says, he who leaves the fight unfinished is not at peace. That really struck me about the the lack of closure that might happen when a friendship ends, which I also, later in the book, there there's a, a bit about a lost friend is a kind of death. It's an absence. Do you think there's a similar grief? But I've actually had, 
uh, a few you know few friends die as well and uh and i've written about one of them um uh, michelle um but um just when the book before the book came out but before i could write anything about it an, uh, another friend died and i think that grief is it is different because it's I think the grief happens when things are unresolved, and people say that when they have unresolved relationships, um, it's very painful. Mm. It's much more painful than if it's uh, okay. I've lost my beautiful mother, mm. but if it's I've lost my um, mother who who damaged me all my life, mm. um, there's a, there's a lot more complication to it. I think or an accidental death as opposed yeah, to yes, a, yes, a, a death where there's an ability to say goodbye. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So. So I think it's, it's different, but, but somebody's death doesn't mean that you're, at f or normally doesn't mean you're at fault. Mm. Whereas with a friendship breakup, it could mean that you're at fault. So I think, I think the grief is, it is different. Thank you, Patty Miller, for being with us this morning. It's been really lovely. And thank you, Linda. Um.